Clinic no-shows. How do you handle a client who doesn't show up for an appointment? This week, we're going to talk about some of the strategies and challenges that we all face when it comes to clients who just don't show. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And as a practice owner, a practitioner, as a business expert guy, I can tell you one of the biggest challenges that we have are when folks schedule an appointment with us and they just don't show up. This is a chronic, persistent perennial problem. And this week we want to talk about, has it gotten worse? What are some of the strategies you can do to mitigate it and maybe avoid it? And more importantly, what can we do to communicate communicate with our clients about the importance of actually showing up. But before we show up for that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. You know, Becky, when clients don't show up for an appointment, it has a ripple effect throughout the whole hospital, right? Oh, yeah. It's it, Depending on the clinic and the way that the schedule goes, it could really be... Not only, I guess my concern is is disrupting to the clinic, but it, it denies access to care to somebody else. Right. Good point. And I know that some of you are listening today and going, well, I wish we'd have more people not show up. It would make my day go a little smoother. But it really isn't that simple, is it, Becky? Because when people don't show up for an appointment, like you said, that generally creates problems elsewhere in the workflow. And, and one of the first things, of course, is the impact just on your bottom line. I mean, Becky, when people don't show up, you aren't making revenue and is as busy as you may feel that you are, that's still lost income that could be going towards a raise or additional benefits and so forth. Oh, every like literally everything, right? I mean, that is a blocked off time for expected income that is not going to happen. And in, I guess I just feel like right now when I listen to my colleagues talk about how busy they are, when I listen to clients say, I couldn't get my pet seen for weeks and weeks and weeks, to me, no shows at this point are are way more costly than just whatever quote unquote income would have come in in that moment. Um, we've got clients who are finding other clinics because they can't get appointments. So we can't have people just sitting on a schedule with no intent to show. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up that point because I was going to do it, but you beat me to it, Becky, as always. But uh, viewfinders, I mean, one of the biggest hidden costs is the opportunity cost of a new client. So let's say, again, that whomever, whether it's an experienced, loyal client or a new client, they don't show up. There's another person that probably wanted to get in, and if they couldn't, they might have gone to a competitor and you may have lost them forever. So I think that you know that opportunity cost, Becky, is more significant than we sometimes realize. And so again, even though you may be listening today going, well, I really, <laughs> that's not our problem. We're so busy, we don't know what to do. You know, again, you may be busy right now in the moment, but Becky, I worry about six months from now, a year from now, if we continue to jettison new clients and, and existing clients, I mean, then what's left on the other side of this? No, exactly. And on top of that, I think it's, we have to think about how it affects everyone, right? Because depending on, I guess there's just so much to it. We get the room prepared. We get prepared mentally and emotionally as the staff. Depending on the patient, we are preparing in, in different ways, right? It might be a new client. It might be one we've seen before, just kind of depending. Um, there's a lot that goes into seeing any one client. And to have them no show, I think the, is is incredibly disruptive. It's disappointing. But then there's also this time of like, it adds stress because are right. they going to show up late? Right. Are they not going right. to show at all? Is the pet being seen? Was that pet really sick? What was going on with it that it's not coming in? I can think of when I experienced no-shows, it kind of 
it's like a whole snowball of things. Right. Right, right. And I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because we do worry about it. We're like, you know, hey, are they going to come call? You then take additional resources by calling those clients, typically. So now you've got your receptionist up there getting on the phone, trying to call them. Are you coming? What if? And a lot of times you might even convert them into now a late appointment, which then further complicates things. I think it's really interesting. Now, when we look at the scope of the problem, Becky, I mean, I know that you had shared with me uh, some recent, you know, sort of uh, estimates that up to 11% of all veterinary appointments are no-shows. I mean, one out of 10, Becky, that's a significant issue. Yeah. So I was looking at an email that came out from LifeLearn and it, and it's, it basically says that this is a statement from AHA and it relates to a human healthcare study that talks about prevalence, predictors, and economic consequences of no-shows. And in human medicine, it looks like as many as 18, almost 19% um, in, in some cases are, are seeing no-shows as are, are no-show appointments, which I think is incredible. So AHA extrapolates that, and and we see this as 11% of appointments. I think about our smaller clinics who one doctor practice, that might be a whole day worth of appointments. Big practices, that might be one hour worth of appointments. That's going to add up either way you look at it. Yeah, it really does. And I'll tell you, you know, again, as I mentioned in the intro, Becky, this is a perennial problem. I mean, this has been around as long as I've been around, which is over 30 years. And I can tell you one of the first strategies in the late 80s and early 90s that was proposed was following again in the footsteps of human medical practitioners and dentists. And that was this double and even triple booking strategy. And I remember reading an article back in the day when I was writing for veterinary economics from medical economics, and they actually said that up to a quarter of these appointments at, you know, private little independent general practitioners, up to a quarter didn't show. And so they were advocating at that time that you double book these appointments. Now, obviously, we all know what happens is when you're booked for your appointment, <laughs> the person shows up at the same time. So everybody waits double time. But um, but Becky, we started seeing this movement amongst, you know, the veterinary sort of, you know, management folks to say we should be double booking. In fact, people got really clever and we did. I, I used to do this high density scheduling thing, but again, it was offset by 10 minutes because I never believed in this true double booking. But Becky, I mean, you know, in addition to sort of the strategy of, well, if 10% or so are going to not show up, we should be double booking at least some of the time. What other strategies have you kind of seen or heard about? So I just want to say, I think double booking is an atrocity and it should never happen. (laughs) And like in every other aspect of our life, if we were, if we're double booked, it, it is incredibly inconvenient and disruptive. And if I am making an appointment, I anticipate having that appointment. I was just reading an article about all these like cruise passengers who are, have been stranded because cruises are now double booking. I'm regularly offered to give up my seat and change my plans because the planes double book their seats. I mean, I I am, there is, there's so much inconsideration if you ask me when it comes to booking because I did the thing you asked me to do when I held up my end of the deal, but Bad apples spoil the bunch. So because of this, that's, that's the methodology, right? Is double booking. So for me, I, when, and, and you, I talk about River Road Animal Hospital regularly, um, because I've been really impressed with how they do things and, and their philosophies. And when I made my first appointment with them as a new client, I had to make a deposit. Um, and, 
I don't remember how much. It was over $100, and it went toward the first appointment, but I had to put a deposit down to hold my spot as a first new client. Now, I don't know what their no-show policy is, but based on everything else that they have done, I feel inclined to believe that they would charge me if I did not show up, right. Yeah. Um, rightfully so. And I assume, and I, I, I'm sure it's on their website, I just need to do a little research. I'm sure that after a, 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 a couple, that you're no longer welcome to be their client. Yeah, for sure. And and this is a, an old strategy too, Becky. I remember this first started getting floated back when really we were able to do like online transactions and payments for credit card. Remember guys, there was a time when we actually had to like actually do an imprint of your credit card. It wasn't connected to the internet. We didn't have this networking. But uh, back in the day when that first started coming online, a lot of people were holding a credit card for new clients and so forth. And and I'll be honest with you, Becky, I never, um, I never advocated for that or endorsed or supported that view because I did feel like that was an additional barrier to, to growth. And so for me, it wasn't a great deal. Having said that, I think there probably are other strategies you may be able to implement that can help mitigate it. So again, I love the fact that people are saying, look, this is a problem. We're looking for solutions. And in this case, it works for this vet clinic. So you might want to consider that for your clinic as well. The other thing that what I think most people kind of went to was this a little more contact with the client. And, and in fact, you know, I go to a dentist who um, is excellent at this and, you know, they will they will call you and text you and remind you in a variety of fashions that you have an appointment and give you multiple opportunities to opt out if you're not going to make the appointment because they'd rather fill that appointment. So I think that, you know, you can A, do a sort of a financial handcuff, if you will, and say, hey, you're locked into this appointment. Uh, we apply it. You know, you're not paying for it, but, you know, we're, we're making you commit financially to this appointment. Or you can, if you have the personnel or the technology, you can use these reminders or nudges. And I that's really been more sort of what I've advocated for. In fact, we actually had a person on our team who that was a large part of her job, her daily job was to do all these phone calls. Now, you can say, wow, you know, maybe it's better just to take the money. But for us, it was nice. We got additional information. Yeah, so Becky, you can see our strategy was let's communicate more. Let's kind of stay up in your business more often so that we can get a read on you. But uh, what do you think about that? You know, what do you think about... I guess I'd like to ask your two opinions. You know, if you're a new client and they said, hey, you've got to pay a deposit or or would you rather have somebody just call and pester you, I guess? Well, they do both. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, like, <right>. requi- <laughs> like they don't require you to put it up on your end and then they fall on their end. It's both ends holding up their responsibilities. I paid a deposit to hold my appointment as a new client. I've never been asked to hold one before. And they're doing the reminders. They send a text message and an email. They they leverage all the technology. I don't think most no-shows forget. And I think that's the problem with quote-unquote reminders is you're assuming that they've forgotten or that it has slipped their mind. I think when a no-show occurs, it is most of the time deliberate. And they've either had a conflict and chosen not to come the pet got better and they didn't have the consideration to call. Um, I don't think it's an actual forgetting issue, which is where quote unquote reminders don't do us that much good. It, it, if you send a reminder and there is an automated confirmation and you're able to confirm at that point or, you know, the, the individual you have right. calling answers and they actually answer, which I don't think anybody answers their phone anymore these days, which is why I love the text and the emails. Right. Um, 
I, then it may be a little bit different of a situation because they have confirmed and it is, it is good to be like, oh shoot, I forgot that was tomorrow. I appreciate that reminder. So I think we have a responsibility on both ends. Um, I just don't believe that. And maybe this is what we really need to unpack and, and what really needs to be figured out is what percentage of them are innocent. Oh my gosh, I completely forgot and, um, are, actual just, I found another doctor that could see me sooner and I didn't have the guts to call and to cancel and to tell you that, or uh, it got better, or I just am not going to have it seen. Like I, that's a little bit more to me, the problem. Yeah. And and again, you know, viewfinders, this is just kind of throwing out ideas and we'd love to hear what you have to say. So definitely share us uh, on social media or certainly you can email us at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. But but one of the things too, you know, even if you do take like a credit card or some kind of deposit or whatever, remember that there still may be legitimate reasons for that client not to make that appointment and you're going to have to have a mechanism in which you are able to reimburse them or take that charge off or whatever. So I mean, Becky, you know, there, there are even, you know, other things you've got to do, consequences that you need to sort of take care of for sure. I don't sure. know though, like if, if you honestly when you take a deposit so at least in the the, and i'm honestly thinking a lot about my hair appointments because those are another place that (laughs) require a deposit because you've booked out four hours of someone's time right and and it's just going to be you there is no booking someone else or they're just going to walk in um at least where i get my hair done so i'm kind of thinking about those guys and yeah like if you have a death in the family but then the deposit is just applied to your next appointment um non-refundable deposits mean non-refundable deposits and this is what i think is kind of some of the tension or the issue because people are like oh well i have this legitimate excuse you have to give me my money back and i'm a business owner who says i told you it was a non-refundable deposit there is no reason for you to get it back. That's why it's a deposit. I'm sorry you had this circumstance happen in your life, but I still lost money over it. And as a business owner, you bought that space. Um, I personally think that non-refundable deposits are just that, and you shouldn't have to give them back. And this is this is the point of this conversation, because we bend, we mold, we sway. And when I'm talking about deposits, I'm not talking about clients we've had long-term relationships with. And that's the thing, right? Like my client, I'm not required to put one down every single time. If I make an appointment and something happens, I now have an established relationship with my clinic. But we know, and we have all seen these clients who are regular no-shows and they're regular problems. So when is it appropriate to start flagging an individual? Maybe we don't have a whole clinic practice, but what I have seen is within clinics having one particular client who seems to be problematic and imposing a requirement on that client alone. Hey, Mrs. Jones, this is the third time you've no-showed on us. In the future, to hold your appointment, you're going to have to put a deposit. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mind that at all. And we've certainly tried those kind of things. I will say typically they end in the client leaving or you having to discharge them or whatever. I like that idea a lot, Becky, though. Uh, We did have that in writing. So that was one of our, you know, because again, you don't want to just sort of do this ad hoc, you know, like, well, I really don't like Mrs. Smith, you know, or Mr. Jones, he was a real pain in the butt. Um, So I think if you need to have, you need to have some kind of policy, like you say, okay, three times no show onward, we require some kind of deposit or some mechanism in place. So I think that, you know, I love it. And again, this is this is like Becky says, always just getting in front of a problem. Like, you know, I, and I would also encourage you to start to have these conversations with your team, Becky. Like, this is one of those areas where, you know, like you as a manager or as a tech or as a vet might have a 
a, a bit of a biased perception of what's what's the reality. So it's really good, I think, to get ground truth on your data and then maybe have this discussion with your team. I mean, don't don't you think the Becky? Don't you think that the team has like a say in this as well? Well, I think that's the whole point of this conversation today, right? Is how applicable is this? You know, we have these conversations, and sometimes they resonate super hard with folks listening, and sometimes they're like, I don't know anything about that, and I've actually learned a lot about something I didn't know because boy, I learned we're really lucky because in our clinic, we never have no shows. Um, so th- I think that's kind of the, the point of it all is putting the proverbial bug in your ear and saying, is this a problem? It, because so often what I see is it's a problem we don't do anything about. We just talk crap about that client or we just end up with our day really screwed up or we make these big swinging actions like double booking, which again is crazy and only punishes the staff. So I think like you said, Having a conversation with your staff, is this actually a problem? Like, because we only really hear about it when it is. So maybe I'm only hearing right. no show once a day, once a week, once a month, or am I hearing it multiple times? And then from there, what are they comfortable with? Because to your point, your staff are the ones that are going to have to execute and impose whatever you decide. If it is a deposit, they're the ones that break the news to the client, the new client that they require a deposit. If it's a fee or holding a credit card or whatever it is, most of the time, it's your staff who's going to have to be the one to break the news to that client. And so having everybody on the same page with a policy that everyone agrees on is more likely to get that policy supported. But what I will find, I would say you will find is if this is problematic in your clinic and it is affecting your teams because of these no-shows, they're going to be on board with finding and enforcing some kind of policy and probably grateful that you're addressing it. Because as your staff who has an exam room set up, I mean, I'm thinking about a lot of these clinics that do it really right, where we have pre-feel-weighed towels. We might have pulled up vaccines so that they're not as stingy because they're warmer. Um, We might have a peanut butter leak pad ready to go. We might have cracked the lid on something that is disposable. So as a team, I've already put in effort to your appointment and I am going to become resentful and I am going to resent the client and even more importantly, going to resent the management who does nothing about it. Right. So so a couple of quick things. I, I love this conversation. I, I think that I love what Becky said earlier, and I want to just reemphasize it because I think it might be missed by sometimes listening to a podcast. And that is that I think a lot of the no-shows, late appointments, the majority are typically by a very small percentage of your clients, right? So, I mean, it's not a Pareto principle probably, but maybe over half of your no-shows are probably 10% of your folks, right? I mean, most people show up or do their darndest, you know, or let you know, hey, I'm running late, you know, I'm in traffic or my kid or whatever. So I think that you, like Becky said, you probably want to recognize if it's the same person over and over again and maybe have a written policy that you have put in place for those kind of kind of people for sure. The other thing too, I think that's important to note is that, you know, I think the, the, if, if you're going to charge for it, I think you need to, again, be very transparent and say, Hey, there's a $25 fee for a no show, right. Or whatever, or it's the full cost of the exam or the appointment, whatever it is. I think you want to be really clear on that. Of course you can make exceptions based on like Becky said, if there's an injury or tragedy or something. So that's for sure. The other thing, Becky, I want to ask you is, you know, and, and this is something that we did a good job of, and quite frankly, because one of our office managers just really made this a point uh, early in my career, um, and that was we had these uh, wait lists, right? So she was constantly like, you know, taking people saying, hey, you know, we are we don't have any appointments on Tuesday, you know, maybe the next day or two days in, in advance, uh, but let me put you on our wait list. And so when we saw that somebody was like 15 minutes late or 30 minutes late or whatever, we were able to call a lot of people and get them in quickly. I mean, do you, do you see wait lists being implemented in many clinics? I don't know about 
about clinics, but I see wait lists everywhere. And even if you don't have one, just tell me you do. Literally, if I call somewhere and ask for an appointment, I'm like, okay, but can I just get on a wait list for right. sooner? Um, just tell me I am. But I, my dentist does this. They always yeah, have right. a wait list. And that's the reason they're calling and trying to get all those confirmations. They made your right. last appointment six months out. There's a good chance you are going to have a conflict. That's fine. Um, I don't know about like, hey, my clients, like, hey, we had an appointment no show. Uh, can you drop everything and come running in right this minute? I think that maybe is the benefit of living in like a, a smaller, well-off community where you do have a lot of folks who are retired and just right, sitting right. on go with their dog. I think realistically, that's not probably as likely. But when you do that 24-hour confirmation, right, you know, right. and you get somebody that's not going to be able to show on Tuesday, right, because you're checking on Friday, um, then you can get that f- person in. And I think the benefit of that is, one, when that happens, when I go to a dentist or a hairdresser or somebody that reaches out and says, hey, we did have a cancellation, you're on our wait list, I feel important. Like, I feel important as a client. And in, in the veterinary spot, I, my, my pet feels important. My concern feels important. So having a wait list that you can scooch folks in on instead of just, like, leaving this list wide open, um, I think there's a lot of benefit to that. And I think schedule management is something that we could be doing a better job of anyway, just when we right. see a huge right. opening, calling some of our clients and saying, are you available to come in? We've had a sooner appointment and we know you're worried about Fluffy. I think there's a lot to be said for clients and, and customer service in doing that. It, it does make the client feel important. Um, and I think the bottom line of that is just the idea that maintaining a schedule is a practice in itself. And I think a lot of times we just sit in front of this screen and we pretend that the screen gives us the information instead right. of us giving <laughs> the information right. and, and managing that schedule. Um, so I love the idea of a wait list. I think that's and and I think it is something that can help satiate a client who is Right, feeling right. the urgency of an appointment and can't get in, like you said, I can't see you till Thursday, but I've got a wait list. If anybody cancels, I'll make sure we call you Absolutely. first. Absolutely, yeah, um, it makes them feel. Yeah, like a it makes bucks. me yeah. feel better, even yeah. if I'm just needing to get my hair touched up. You know, let alone right. my pet is sick. So, all of those things are incredibly important, and I think the benefit of managing. And then, if we have those clients that we tag as always late, regularly no shows. And we're willing to deal with that. Then we double book that client. We right, don't double right. book that day. Um, and again, I think we need to think about the legalities and the moral factors of imposing on just one client who seems to be a repeat issue. Um, but I think that the important thing is just like a client or just like a team member who is a repeat issue, we have to yeah, address repeat yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think it's just a minority of the folks. I think most pet parents are just really, they, they do the right thing. The one other thing too that we want to mention too is, is something I struggled with early in my career because this was happening as a small solo rural practitioner here in North Carolina coast. Uh, and Becky, is that is when do we call that appointment? Like, I mean, like saying it's over, like you're not showing up. So we, I started out of the gate with 30 minute appointments. And we expanded that into new clients as 40 minutes and behavior as 45 to 60, depending on the behavior issue. Um, And there was some nutritional counseling that would also be 45 minutes. But regardless, so at 15 minutes, I made a hard rule in my clinic saying that if you were 15 minutes late, which is now half of the appointment, then if there was somebody waiting, because let's face it, this is another issue that we have. People just show up, you know, or people are early or whatever. At 15 minutes, we moved 
gone, right? Now you still might show up, but now you're just going to be in the waiting queue or whatever. But Becky, do you, do you have any advice for that? Like when do you actually quote unquote call that appointment and say it's over, you missed your appointment kind of thing? I, again, for us, it was 15 minutes or halfway point for these appointments. Well, even the 45 minutes, we did it 15 minutes. And then if there was somebody waiting in our lobby, come on in. Yeah, I think 15 minutes is absolute maximum. Um, I, I I agree with that. I have to say that um, it, it is, yeah, I would say, I'd say anything more than 15 minutes. How you deal with that is, again, I think it's personal up to you, personal up sure. to the client, personal up to the appointments. For me, it is, it, it, this is where we talk about training your clients. I don't think this is all about the idea of just having a late appointment. It has, it has less to do with that than it has to do with training your clients and their behaviors. And, and I guess that to me is more of the issue in the bottom line with late show appointments and chronic late show appointments. Um, and even walk-ins. I think one of the problems we have in our clinics and lives is we set a boundary and then we don't maintain it. Right. And that, affects your employees. So if you are as a client, as a clinic, you say no walk-ins and then you allow somebody to come and walk in, uh, you move the goalpost and you didn't tell anybody. And now you've created a point of anxiety for your team because now your team doesn't actually know that they can count on you maintaining what you say you're going to maintain. And now it feels like chaos. And it may seem really silly, like, oh, well, they just need an appointment. They just need a vaccine. They just need this. Your client is, your cl- I'm sorry, your employees are counting on you to maintain the boundaries that you have. And so to me, this issue of late appointments, late shows, walk-ins, whatever that is, and how you handle it, the the real important part is, is that you're creating the tone for your employees of, what you were going to do to protect the boundaries that you have set for them and their day or not. And so even maybe it's a matter of if we are going to move a boundary, it is a team decision. And I, as a manager, go in the back and say, Mrs. Jones just walked in with her dog. She was out of town. This is happening. Are are you guys able to, or do I send her to the local urgent care? And you make that team make that decision because they are the ones that are going to deal with it. And so if it is what how you're dealing with it, then like Ernie said in the beginning, talk to your teams because you, you have to back it up for them and we can't continually move it all the time. Well, I guess this one time, if you're saying just this one time you are taking, you are making a team decision and everybody needs to be involved in that. And again, I think it can be client dependent. Oh my gosh, it's Mrs. Jones. She's never late, you know, or if it's me, they're like, Oh, Becky, she always brings brownies. She can be 10 minutes late. She's probably stopped to get us food. Maybe they would be good about that. Maybe they would be like, skip the brownies, Becky, and be on time. That that's the part that I think at the, bottom line, the the major concern that I have about all of this is when we make these decisions, we make them for our team and we impose it on our team. And that, I guess, is what I'm getting the bottom line of my concerns of whether it's a walk-in or they're late, how you handle it. They're the ones that have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and I call that leadership discipline. I mean, you really setting boundaries. The hardest part is having the discipline to enforce it. One other thing too, Becky, before we wrap up today's conversation is how do you actually handle that first conversation? And so we, you know, obviously, you know, we were all about scripts and training and all that stuff, but you know, so let's say now it's 15 minutes past, 
Mrs. Smith, Mr. Jones, they're not there, right? So we're trying to move on. Our day is now moving forward, right? Um, we would, as soon as possible, we would have one of our receptionists or whomever was available to, to give them a quick call. Hey, Mrs. Jones, uh, you know, call and check in on you. We had you scheduled at 10 in the morning, uh, but we didn't see you today. I know you might be on your way and running a little late, but if not, we want to make sure we get you on our schedule as soon as possible. Like we would say something like that. Do you think that, that again, somebody didn't show up, they didn't call you to tell you they weren't showing up. Do you think you should make that phone call like we did and say, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's how we handled it. Did we handle it to, to your liking? <laughs> do I, I? I do. Because again, there there is a chance they forgot. There is a chance something bad happened. Right. Um, I do think following up is a good business move and getting them back on the calendar if you can is a good business move. Right. Absolutely. I think you should. And, and I do think that when you're sitting there waiting for an appointment, it is worth calling them and saying your appointment started 15 minutes ago. Um, right. That's what I do when somebody no shows for a meeting with me. And that's what people do when I accidentally am late to a meeting with them. Hey, is now still a good time. Um, so I think that is still a courtesy. And again, we're kind of going with the assumption that there has been some kind of confirmation. And and, and I don't want to glaze over right, that. I right, do still think right. confirming appointments, reminders, all of those Absolutely. things are incredibly important. Um, so if, especially if a client confirmed that they're going to be there and they're not, I, I absolutely want to reach out um, and, and just see if everything's okay. Make sure that their, their pet's okay and get them on the schedule if they need to be. That's just common courtesy and good customer service. I also think it's a gentle call out for you miss your appointment. Right. Right. And, and again, you know, it's, it's one of those funny things. It's sort of like a chronic condition in a, in a pet patient. You know, it's like, you know, the people that are more likely to have that problem, whether it's allergic dermatitis or osteoarthritis. So a person who doesn't show up for appointments or is late is more likely to be late or not yes. show up in the future. Right? I mean, no, so, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's the point of this conversation too, right. because the, the idea is, Hey, this is not a chronic problem in our clinic, but we have got this client who has all the, cause, cause again, one bad apple is going to spoil the pie. Oh yeah. Right. So now all of a sudden you have a client who is doing that and it, and it becomes like, Oh, it's always them. And then you start having like, I've literally been in clinics where it's like, we have a bet going, whether she shows up or not, how, how sure. late she uh, is absolutely. or isn't. And to me in hindsight, look how unhealthy that is that we were actually betting on it. And, um, kind of planning on it rather than addressing the behavior as an issue. And I think that that's, again, this underlying conversation of do we create our client behavior? Do we set the tone for our clients and the way that they work within our clinics? Or do we just let them come in and do willy-nilly what they want when they want? And I think that's the problem that has created a lot of client resentment within clinics when people are acting crazy. Yeah, guys, as I will say once and a thousand times, I say it over and over again, you're in control of a lot more in your life than you sometimes give yourself credit or acknowledge. And so, you know, I think this is one of those areas where really examine the data, look at who's causing these problems and what are the problems and how do you want to solve them as a team? We'd really like to hear your experiences and some of your solutions out there. Definitely hit us up on social media, share it with us on Facebook. We have a pretty active community, a lot of interesting comments thrown out there. So if you've got an idea, throw it out on Facebook. Or if you want to just share it to us privately, how can they share something privately? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's only be so private. I'm going to know who we are. Don't go cutting out magazine letters and sending it to my house because that's just weird. You can send us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. 
That's right, guys. We really like to have these conversations. Again, client no-shows is a real part of real-life practice, and it's a challenge for us all, and so we'd like to get your feedback on this episode. If you have content or topics that you want us to cover, definitely hit us up, veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com, or drop us a note in social media. Guys, until next week, be safe and have a great one. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.